What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode five of Write Who You Know. This is the podcast where we talk all things screenwriting. It's the behind the scenes of the behind the scenes, where every week I interview a different writer or group of writers, because today we're actually having our first writing team on the podcast, Amy Pocha and Seth Cohen. They're wonderful writers that I met when um, we were working on Undatable for NBC. We were both staff writers at the time. The three of us are staff writers, I should say. Um, they've gone on to work on so many things. I'm just going to run you down a few things. They've worked on Trip Tank. They've worked on Bad Teacher, No Activity, American Vandal, Whiskey Cavalier, animated shows like Paradise PD. They were the showrunners and co-creators of the new iteration of Head of the Class on HBO Max, which has probably been taken off uh, as a tax write down at this very moment. Having said that, uh, as wonderful as they are at writing, they are some of the funniest, sweetest people that I've ever known. Um, they put up with all of my antics uh, as a first-year staff writer. I had no clue what I was doing, and they kind of guided me in a way that was uh, helpful without being uh, cloying and annoying. And they're going to tell you really all about their career. They've written features. They have written TV shows. They continue to create TV shows and pitch TV shows and writing movies. Um, they do it all. And frankly, when I get... Uh, somewhat bummed out, forlorn. I know that I can call on them to go to lunch or, or, or call Seth up on the phone and talk him through my issues, and uh, I'll be feeling better in a, a short while because that's why you have this community is to, to let it, for them to let you know it's not so bad and you are supported. And even though you may be writing alone, if you're not in a writer's room at the moment, you still have community and friends and people that care about you. So without further ado, here is episode five of Write Who You Know with the writing duo Seth Cohen and Amy Pocha. Pass. Nope. We love Matt. It's just a really hard time right now. The industry's contracting. Come back to us and get some bigger attachments. Tell them write what you know. No, tell them write who you know. Mainly they want to hear how hot house feels. Yeah, I do feel hot very... House. COVID, that's what's happening I don't. Here. I don't have COVID. I promise you I don't have COVID. When I walked in, he was so sweaty and I got very concerned. And then he goes, oh, sorry, man. He goes, I've just... I've just and I thought he was going to say, like, not feeling one. He goes, schwitzing. And I go, okay. And then he goes, well, I was on the treadmill, dude. And I was like, oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't, I promise. <laughs> I promise. I believe you. You do look like you're very sweaty. Are you I okay? I am very sweaty. You need I'm a also... cup of water. No, I have. I'm. This is Amy's cup of water. <laughs> I'm like, I have a cup of water. It's Amy's. It. No, I'm worried about you. Howie. No, don't be. I'm just. I'm just nervous because I've never had a. Um. A, a. I've never. I'll hold it for you if you want, Seth. When you're not. Oh God. Here. I've. I've never had a duo on. And and this is almost not a duo because Seth is refusing to talk into the mic. So you know. No, it's great. It's honestly great. What's up? Hey, everybody. <laughs> um. Today uh, on Write Who You Know, I have two very special guests. I have Amy Pocha. Hello. I have Seth Cohen. Hello. They are a wonderful writing team that I met when I was working on NBC's Undateable. Woo! Uh, it was a wonderful Woo! experience. I think the first thing that I wanted to ask you guys, by the way, um, is how you met. I know the story, but I'm uh, going to play dumb for a little bit. So sure, like, sure. Tell me, I want to know how you guys met. Great. So I won a contest to become a writer with Amy. <laughs> That's a sad contest. There were 300 applicants. <laughs> bunch, of, bunch of young boys and girls hopefuls for Hollywood. Um, Amy and I met. We were uh, writer assistants on a little uh, show called Karen Sisko. 
and we had a tremendous amount of downtime, and the show was slowly uh, going under. That is correct. Thank you, Amy. I want to say that. <laughs> and then we just literally hit it off. We had a bunch of downtime. We started to work on an animated idea that we just were fucking around, and it was really fun just shooting around ideas. And we had a writer on the show who was super kind and was like, hey, if you'd like, my husband is a Nickelodeon animator. And he'll animate it, and we, you guys can go out and pitch him. We're like, holy shit, we made it. We're in Hollywood. And then what happened? Oh, well, it didn't work out. <laughs> it didn't work out for that writer too much. They, they got divorced, and uh, the project did not get made. <laughs> but it was the start of us working together, and we had a great time. And then after that, we wrote a feature that sold to Disney. So it was all... I so think- it was just two scripts, and then bang. It happened that uh, or, 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 not or even two time. scripts really. Like the first thing was like a presentation, so it was like a booklet with some characters and like this is the world, but it wasn't even a script. And you sold that? No, we didn't sell that. That one. That was the animator. That with was the, the animator the who it just died on the vine. It's like now, what do we do? And the answer was absolutely nothing. Go f yourselves. And then we just always had day jobs and TV, and we're writing a feature at night while we had different, you know, uh, day jobs, and then. Worked on it with a management company. Um, uh, what the heck's it called? Why am I blanking on it? The company? Yeah, yeah. Um, that's now defunct. Doesn't matter. It was Bender Spink. Bender Spink. Yes, wow. yes, and it was really the fun. The operation and the looks. So. Uh, no, we read a we read a movie and it was insane. And it but how did you? My and... question, my question, my question is like, okay, so you're both assistants. You write this movie. Did you have representatives at the time? No. In fact, the Bender Spink became our reps at the time. Got it. So it was like immediate, like, what do you do? <laughs> yeah. It was pretty crazy. Did you feel like you like had made it? Like, just like, what was that feeling? Like, when you got the call of like, we want to be your reps and we're going to sell this. Like, what was, can you take me into that moment a little bit? Yeah, you're so excited about it. And you're like, yes, we made it. And then you're like, oh, we have to go back to our day jobs because this is not pay for like, months and oh yeah you have to get another writing job if you want to keep going so it was like the real lesson and just keep working and it also was a bit of a roller coaster because i remember we wrote this thing for months because they would give us notes we'd rewrite it and all these other things and then um we got a call and they're like hey we're soft sending it out to five different producers i'm like awesome and they called us on friday i think it was and they go hey everyone doesn't want it <laughs> and we're like oh that's awesome thank you so much for calling for that's call. great news thank you and then they're like all right, so we'll see if anyone else bites. And we're like, fuck, like we fucking spent all this time writing it. It seems like it's dead. And then we got a call. It is either the Friday or Monday. I can't remember the order now. And it was like, hey, this one company wants it. They brought it to Disney. They're going to make an offer preemptively. And like you said, you go overnight from being, you know, assistants to people to like, no matter what, like we sold a fucking feature and it's very real deal. And we were, must have high-fived at least three times. Was this the one with, go ahead, Amy. Seth actually touched my hand. It was amazing. Yeah, <laughs> There are two hugs Seth does not like to touch people. I don't do a lot of touching. Seth is uh, the Howie Mandel of the, t- <laughs> of the duo, or the Howard Hughes, that, whichever that, Howie. That is, yep. you Urinating in bottles, not touching anyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, was this the one that got that Cat Williams was attached to? No, that was afterwards. This was uh, Adam Shankman. So wow, yeah, it was pretty exciting. Yeah, what was the movie about? It was about, uh, essentially, it was grown-up Goonies. What if a bunch of kids went on adventure when they were young, and they failed and came back at the age of, like, 25 to save their town and, like, re-go on, like, a whole uh, adventure. But now they're, like, drinking Red Bulls to solve problems, and the way into the cave is, like, the strip club, the butt hut, and there were, like, all these funny, you know, sort of genre spoof big movie like that. What Seth's saying is it really holds up to the times. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, okay, so you guys sold this movie to Disney. Yeah. Yeah, a pretty edgy movie that they then said, can you write this over and like take all the swear words out? <laughs> I think like one, one of them was yeah. cum dumpster. That like they called each other that a lot. I thought that was the old title was cum dumpster. And that was like, yeah, so you get, and I was like, that's like the, uh, I feel like we hear that a lot. We're like, write the edgy version and then people buy it and then it gets... You're told like, oh, okay, that's great. So take all the swearing out and change the jokes so they can be for everybody. And that actually became what they call a four quadrant movie. So it's like for your grandparents and your parents and the kids and the babies. So it became a movie like that. (laughs) I think that was even part of our title was like the four quadrant, maybe even five or six quadrant movie. (laughs) Yeah, that's incredible. And so at that point, did you then get agents? You had Bender Spink. Yeah. Was it? We definitely did other movies with Paradise. I don't know. Oh, sorry. We have. Def- <laughs> what is this? The, I'm sorry, guys. The, we have the butler moving the mic around, but it's just not picking up everything. He's slow and old. Guillermo, if you could please. He, I brought him from Cuervos. I like him. I like him a lot. He's nice. Yeah. Um, no, uh, I don't remember what we were talking about. We, Agent, we, Paradigm. We, we did other movies with Paradigm. I don't remember if we got them because of. That movie, but we did other. We did features for a while, and Got like it. you said, Cat Williams and other things. And gotcha, it was fun. Okay, and how did you guys end up in television? Like, I met you, I think, on your second job on Dateable, but your first job was Bad Teacher. Right? Yeah, yeah. And then we we both went. So we both had day jobs. We were both working in TV. We loved TV. What um, was your jobs at the time? I well, I had done. I was an assistant for Bruce Helford's company, so it was like the George Lopez show and the Freddie Prince Jr. show and. Um, a Bernie Mac show back in the day. And then I was working for NBC and Universal. And Seth was on the coolest show ever. Undateable with Matt and Amy. <laughs> oh, wait, what? Uh, yeah, I was I was PAing for a bunch of shows. That was kind of like my end. Was office grinding PA it out. or set PA? Uh, I was office PA. Yeah, you are I, more of an I, I was going to say, if you were a set PA, I don't see that. No, I was <laughs> too dorky and thin. Uh, uh, I did PA on the last season of Friends, which was are a you ton joking? of fun. No, I didn't know that. Well, you don't listen to a lot of the stories we tell you. That's why you said, can I have a podcast? I need to record them so I can remember the things we've already talked about. Uh, yeah, I PA'd, PA'd on the last show, season of Friends, and then I was, I'll give you the full spiel, and then you can ask any questions, which was, was having a hard time leveling up and um, worked at an agency, because I was like, that might expand my sphere, and then got a couple jobs after that for people with overalls, which gave us like a ton of time to write, oh my God. And then um, with that, working for a bunch of people with overalls, and um their job is essentially to develop. So I just had to like sit at a desk, which gave me the time. Amy's so much more talented and faster than I am to grind through our features and stuff like that before we ended up with actual jobs in television. But we were always grinding away in TV because we fucking love TV. Because if you write something, it gets produced most of the time. We have to give a shout out to my roommate because she would let us sit. We had a two-bedroom apartment at the time. And the living room became Seth's and my's like workspace. And we had one kitchen table that the two of us would be at all the time. And poor Amy would come home and like yeah. we'd be working there. And uh, she was very cool about it. A tale of two Amy's. Yeah. yeah. Other Amy. We could sell that to NBC. <laughs> exactly. Not now. Four years ago, we'd get it with penalty. Done. Big done. Penalty yeah. For that. Yeah. Done deal. Ingold's on his way in next to hear it. <laughs> so you guys, uh, tell me how you got your first job on Bad Teacher and what that experience was like and sort of like just you know 
your the interview process if there was any or you knew someone or, or just because I think a lot of people out there interested are you know you you hear about oh TV staffing it's like how what were the actual machinations of getting that first job? Well, we were really lucky because we did the NBC um, writing program, so okay. we were in a like intensive workshop of like I think the top quarter percent get in but they're like the best things ever warner brothers does one cbs does one um nbc does one abc does one and anyone can apply do you have to and turn in original material you have to turn in i think now you did i think we originally had to write a spec and they give you a spec meaning like a show that's already on air an example of it and they gave us a list and i think we wrote overnight like a raising hope yeah and i think a big bang a Big Bang, too, Our, I think. And, uh, no, it was... Um, always Sunny? It was Always Sunny. Yeah. Big Bang was Warner Brothers, which we did not make it in the year before. We made the top yeah. for like half percent, and they had mm. everybody in, and they talked you through... It was actually it was really nice. Warner Brothers brought the people who didn't get in but were really close and talked you through like how to write the right stuff to get in the next year. Hmm. But we didn't need enough at Warner Brothers. We ended up at NBC. All right, so you're at... You get on Bad Teacher. And, and I'd also add to that that... Every story is like a little bit of luck to a degree because everyone's like, oh, you're lucky. But it is luck is always like hard work and timing. And we had like worked in television for so long. We had applied to the program. We had sold the feature like and you build a network of people that are supporting you that can put in the call to say, you know, you're not monsters and all those things add up into that moment that makes you have this lucky break. I mean, some people get in like, hey, straight from college, we got hired. That's not most people's stories. It's all like the little victories that build up to the big win. I think that you are hitting on two things that are incredibly important that are reasons why I started this podcast, which is one, you know, whenever my mom or someone's like, can you go meet with this writer and tell them what it's like being a writer? Or I say, it's a series of very small triumphs. And you really have to celebrate those triumphs because if you don't, I don't know what you'd be celebrating. But like, you know, your first sale, your first agent, getting your first job, you know, meeting people that you feel like, oh, I'm going to write with this person forever. I'm sure you guys felt that way when you're meeting. Um, Matt. Oh, thank you. <laughs> but you really do need a, like Seth was, Seth was saying, a network and a community of people, which is why I started this pod, podcast because it can be heartbreaking and incredibly challenging. And unless you have people that you can call upon to joke with when the going gets rough, you may go crazy. Yeah. And you always have to have a side hustle. Always. Like, even if you get a job, there's no guarantee that you're going to get the next job. So, like, that was the lesson. Like, you think you're going to come out and like, oh, I made it. And like, I wrote. But really, the hardest job is the second job. Yeah. yeah. And um, always having something else and just keep pushing forward. It's so important. Yeah. So, bad teacher. You guys interview. Yeah. Interviewed. Crushed it. Told them funny stories. We're super kind. Shitting our pants the whole time that we might actually get hired. Because you're just like, holy shit, we just want a job so bad. Because it's the delineation of a line of, you made it. The minute you get hired on your first job, you're like, we are TV writers. <laughs> Why do they keep saying? I wish He's going to you for see. the bottom. I know. Jamie. I wish people like, could Kevin see Eubanks what is happening. Like, Kevin Eubanks and Tonight Show really. Band. Kevin. Hey, like, uh. What nobody notices, I'm doing a lot of random setup and then handing the microphone over to Amy, unbeknownst to her, whatever she's supposed to like add on. Potato. Yeah, I'm like, and here for the blow is Amy, and her <laughs> eyes grow wide of, what are you doing? Uh, I will also add, before we got the job, uh, we did, through the writing program, get new agents, and they were TV agents, so we only had feature agents, and we had a really, really hard time, because we'd be like, we work in TV, let's do TV, let's not just do features, and they were like, no, you're feature people. Um, so we got new TV agents who were amazing, and so I think that a lot of it was that they helped put us in the right doors and the right rooms to meet the right people. Yeah. 
It, it also was, if memory, memory serves me right, it was a late pickup. It was a last yeah, minute pickup by Sony that they at the, were like, all right, I guess we didn't get staffed. And they're like, one more show's picked up. Um, they were like, bad teacher. And they're like, oh, all the good people are hired. Who else is left? So we really got our shot that way. I'm kidding. Was it like an if come thing where they said to you, if the show gets picked up, you guys are hired? Are you only Oh, no, the out? show was already going. Like, there was already a pilot to watch and everything. Got it. Okay. And I also think whenever you're at the position, sometimes a staff writer, especially nowadays, they take those meetings late and last. Yeah. But like, when we find out whether or not we're picked up, some shows, like, then I'll meet with those people to a degree because oh, they try to get everyone else hired first. Yeah, unless you know the person, I don't think, as a staff writer or even, like, even as a producer, you don't really... You're not really brought on before the show's going, unless it's like a mini room. Yeah. In which case, that's like every room now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> on, on Bad Teacher as staff writers, I guess my question is, what advice do you give to would-be first-time staff writers that are entering the room for the first time on their first week on their first show? I, I think it's, you know, it's so, it's so hard being in the room. And we had a little bit of advantage that, you know, we'd worked in the industry before and you get a vibe for the room. But I'd say a lot of it is, you don't have to prove that you belong there. Like some people feel like, A, they have to like speak up a tremendous amount and like have their value felt. It's like, just try to say one or two smart things a day, get a couple wins. And it's so hard. Try not to take everything like personally because you're just there to share stories and whatever. But it's it's a really hard job, no matter what. And being at that level is super hard. And I think we're always trying to give people like advice of like, hey, there's this one sticking point, you know, let it, see where we land through the notes process. And if it hasn't been addressed, go from there. Like it isn't your battle on like day one to fix the script. There's a bunch of people with a ton of experience and just try to be happy and enjoy yourself. That's a really hard part of the job that, especially on the lower level, like they want people to be excited to be there. Yeah. I didn't know anything. So I made every mistake you could possibly make. So I can write a book on what a staff writer should not do in a room. I think we're, I, I, think. <laughs> I, could, I could tell you. And I'm still working. So that tells you something. That's very true. Um, it, was, it was really hard. And we were also, it was a uh, interesting situation where we, Seth and I were not always in the same room. And so oh, like. They split you guys up. Yeah. 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 All the time to us. Um, which most of the time you don't mind, but the first job was like mind blowing of like, what are you supposed to do? And then I was also the diversity hire for the show at the time. And I was the only diversity hire on the show. And so that was also very weird to be like separated from my partner, to be like the other. Um, and it, like, there were some very nice producers who were really nice to me in hindsight that like helped try to be like, Hey, you know, like, just calm down. It's going to like just sit were back you for a second. Like, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> really, really were. <laughs> um, that's actually great advice. And I think the first time when I met you guys on Undateable, I'm sure you remember, uh, I had no idea what I was doing. I was doing bits that were cancelable. I was telling jokes <laughs> that I shouldn't have been telling. Like, I had no idea. And when I look back on that, like, it's also, you know, when I look back on the pictures of that, uh, it was a room of predominantly white dudes. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, like, today, that is changing for the better. But back then, like, I, I I had no clue as to what I was saying, what I was doing, what my surroundings were. I just thought <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, like, you've made it. So, like, be funny by any means necessary. And that is not really, really the case. And I look back and I just want to, like, fucking smack my younger self in the head. Yeah. I think it's also, like, you don't realize when you're doing your first job, like, uh, I think everybody knows it saying it, but like doing it is very different of like, you have to be doing the show that is being mm-hmm. 
made, like that you will have your chance to do in the show. You're just there to support the showrunner and yeah. like be there, support the showrunner, do jokes for the showrunner, try to stay out. There's, I feel like there's always a lot of politics in room. Try to stay out of the politics. Like just, it's a job and it feels like camp and it feels like, oh, you're there to make friends and goof around and whatever. But it was, it's a learning lesson everybody has. I think every staff writer has it. I don't think it's like, you hear from a lot of people that have gone through things like that. I think that's great. Seth, were you going to I, say I was just going to say, I, I think everything you just said is so important. Like everything that was, of everything we said, like everything, it, it was just great. Especially when you're in a room full of like heavy hitters and like amazing comedic people that like, you're like, oh my God, these people are so funny and like the funniest people I've ever met. Like it's a very interesting world to be in. It's yeah. intimidating. It's always intimidating. Absolutely. I mean, I, th I think that you hit upon something so smart, which is staying out of the politics, which is, you know, the cliques will form, alliances will form, whatever, in any scenario where there's a group of people, whether it's Survivor or a writer's room. And I think you have to do your best to just stay out of the hot water and, you know, be a cheerleader. And Seth is, I'm sorry, Seth. I'm so sorry. It's just so boohoo. Next time you're here, when you come back. <coughs> perfect. When you come back, we'll have an actual mic stand. It's perfect. It's perfect. Don't um, let Seth's weak hands stop you from having people hold a mic. Thank you. I couldn't hold the mic anymore. I had to hand it off to Amy. This is perfect though now. But I wanted I wanted to talk about briefly when I met you. You guys were so nice to me. Even yes. even though you were staff writers. Yeah. Technically, you probably should have been uh, story editors, but that's a problem. That's a Warner Brothers issue that we'll get into in another episode. That's just how they are, and they're terrible. Um, but you guys were so kind to me and so nice. But for the Leatherman trick th that we can get into. Evil. But, but you guys, I remember seeing you like at lunch and you were always so positive. And, you know, there are politics on every show and there are some politics on that one. But you really, you kind of instilled in me like be happy. And I was so just like happy to like be working on a show and like be telling jokes. But you really made a point of sort of saying like keep yourself out of the hot water and don't let what else is going on in the show suck you in and just like just have fun yeah 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 should we should can i tell everyone about the leather man prank you played on me as a young i think that's writer? up to you yeah you can tell anyone anything um i guess on undateable i you know i have a guy for everything you want your haircut i got you you need a leather man for your wife's handbag i got you 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 know you want to know where to get a cheap watch i got you uh and I told Seth and Amy in the room uh, that I have a leather man <laughs> for shoes and belts and and other items. And, um, you know, at this point, it was like week one and I didn't have anyone's phone numbers, even though like there's a crew list and I probably should have looked at who was texting me. I didn't really think of that. Um, I started getting unsolicited text messages from my leather man, Raul. Uh, and they grew in scope and sexuality and inappropriateness. And then one of them was about reverse mortgages. Um, yeah, man, you were going to get in on those reverse mortgages. Yeah. And it's like the thing is, I had no idea. It was <laughs> he wanted Seth. to drop pills with you in the desert. I, right. <laughs> oh. Seth is taking the mic back. Seth, can okay, can I slow the story down? Yes. Okay. So the story also from our point of view is you. you Yes, and you were you were definitely coming in. You were coming in hot that first week. There was, was no doubt. And we had a little bit of downtime in the morning before uh, Bill would come into the room, and you kept talking about like, "Bro, I got this leather man who's coming in," and you know what? I'm too friendly with everyone. And we're like, "Should we text Matt as the leather man? We're like, he'll never know it's us." And you did not have Amy's cell phone number, and Amy texts you from three feet away, like. 
yo, bro, it's me, Raul, the leather man. How's it going? Like, do you want to hang this weekend? And you're like, holy shit, the leather man just wrote me as we're talking about it in the room. So we're essentially waiting for like key moments to text you. And it's like, okay. And then we're like, all right, well, now we need to elevate this. And it always happened right when we were like on break or something. It was never like at a moment where work was being done. Bill would be like, hey, I got to step out for 20 minutes. Um, You guys like can take a break or work on it. And then at that moment, Amy would be like, I'm texting Matt. (laughs) And then immediately when we had 20 minutes worth of break, you would do it. And and it started out very slow and it built where it was like, hey, man, I saw this belt today and thought of you. You have a dope waist and this would look great on you. And then you also have a little bit of vanity to you in general. So you were like, bro, he thinks I have a dope waist. Obviously, I have a dope waist. Like, Raul, that's so kind of you. And we would get your, your responses and read them back to the room so the whole room was in on it. Yeah, they were loving the, it. The best part was that you would literally tell us something yes. like, oh, Raul and I, like my girlfriend at the time, gave him my number. We were going to hang out. I told him I have this sick hot tub or something like that and we're going to go hang out. And so we would use whatever you were saying in the room and you would not realize <laughs> that it was like, so because we for sure thought you knew. We for sure thought this was you like thought a I was bit. like doing this was a going Nathan on for like back. yes playing, like okay. it was like three months right it was yeah, a long it was a, time it was, a while. it was like a good three weeks maybe four weeks I don't remember oh, no. it was months all right so <laughs> so it started very slow and then we kept going and it was like I think he knows right like we definitely know so like all right well, let's test the water and it was like hey man uh, I got a free weekend this weekend you want to hang and you're like bro my lady's keeping me like super working also um. I can't because I have like so much shit to do. I'm like, okay. And then um, you posted something over the weekend of like you went to a pumpkin patch or yes, something. And then we're yes. like, super creepy. And I'm like, hey man, I thought you were busy. I saw you at the pumpkin patch over the weekend. And you're like, bro, as Raul, I had to it. go. You did this as Raul. As Raul yeah. continually, the leather man was continually I was harassing. going to punch him. you in the face. No, no I'm just checking. I'm just checking all the levels because I'm, 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 I'm remembering this. So then. The whole room is now in, invested in this thing, and it knows every time there's a break. Guess who? Like, text Matt, Raul, and Amy again is sitting three feet away. Three from chairs for me. Yes, I think. just waiting for the right moment to hit him up, and then it'd be like, "Hey, man, we should hang out this weekend now." And he goes, "I can't. I'm sick." And this is the first time we elevated the prank, and we asked uh, someone in like HR. We go, "Hey, do you have Matt's home address?" They go, "Here you go," <laughs> and then we go, "Hey, man, do you want me to send over some soup? Do you still live at this address?" And Matt comes into the room. He's like, holy shit, Leatherman knows where I live. And he's freaking out. And the room would play part like incredulousness of what we've set up. But they also know it's us. So they'd be like, listen to you as you rationalize. We're like, it's probably on a receipt. Yeah, he has your credit card info. That's and you're like, okay, Raul's cool. Like, no problem. And then we kept like elevating it where you told the hot tub story. I'm like, bro, I was thinking about you this weekend. We should get in a hot tub. It'd be really, really fun. You're like, I don't know, Raul. It's getting a little creepy. And then Raul would be like, hey, man, I'm on a hike right now. We should like do some drugs. And he was like, I bought the drugs. I thought we were going to do them. You owe me money. And you're like, I don't know how to tell Raul. It's getting creepy. And this is going on for months. And people in other rooms know about it. Like, hey, do you hear about the Leatherman bit? They're doing it on Dateable. And we're like, yes, we all know. And Amy's sending you like, Fake art we're sending from Runyon of like a fake Mario Bong from the top of Runyon that we just photoshopped and sent you. And you're like, oh my God, he's on Runyon thinking of us right now. And then we talk for like an hour and our showrunner Stikio would write us and be like, sometimes I forget when I'm talking to Matt that it's just you two assholes at the end of the table <laughs> fucking with him where I'm like sincerely trying to talk him off the clip or B, ramp him up. Adam was incredible in this because yeah. what he would do he would be like Matt. You need to. If this is you need to stand up for your wife and like you need to put Leatherman in his place. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And I'd be like, 
yeah, he's right. I need to fucking tell Letterman. And then on the other end, we'd get a cat emoji. <laughs> like, yeah. hey, bud, you're kind of creeping me up. Cat emoji. <laughs> no, but uh, didn't didn't Stikiel convince you that you should take him alcohol towards the end that he was like, man, maybe you need to make it up to him. Maybe he's really mad at you and you should probably buy him some whiskey or something. Yes, but then the dick pic came. <laughs> Hold on. You're ruining the punchline. <laughs> what do you mean I'm ruining the punchline? This is so, thinking about it now, this is so no, This is a Netflix no. documentary. <laughs> Why is this not a show? <laughs> All right, so then what happens is we keep escalating it because we're like, he must know by now. And every time, no again, clue. it's like, hey, I need you guys to take like a 20-minute break. I'm going to go do this. Bing, fuck, Raul wrote me. Or you'd be talking about Raul. And the whole room would die laughing because they know what's coming. Sometimes they knew. And it was like, oh, yeah, you were also like, look, man, I'm really busy with Mighty Ducks. And um, I'm doing a lot of pitches. And I'm working on a movie. And then he'd be like, bro, sounds like you have a ton of money. Um, I got to get you in these reverse mortgages. I got a great investment. You're like, I'm scared of Raul. And Raul also would write random stuff to you. He'd be like, I'm super busy. And he'd be like, bro, it's October. It's obviously my busiest month, as if the leather month of October is really busy. Like, oh, yeah. we would throw, like, Probably. random, like, non Because I thought he was making costumes. Like, <laughs> yeah, basically he's making the knife crotch thing from Seven, this guy. <laughs> <laughs> right. So we kept it going, and then you would sometimes be like, I'm really stressed about Raul, and go back into your office and, like, lie down for 10 minutes. You're like, I don't know how to tell my wife that, like, she always warned me not to get involved with people, and, like, that's Raul things becoming an issue. And we're like, hey, we got to let him off the hook. It's like he's getting really upset and it's affecting his family. We're like, totally. We'll step it up one more time. So we're like, hey, man, you owe me for that money for the pills. Listen, I'm in your neighborhood. I'm right outside your house. Hit me up. And then we sent a screenshot from Google of outside your place. And you're like, oh, my God, he's outside my home. Like, what are we going to do? Like calling your wife. Like, I, called, I called my fiance and I was like, hey, just so you know, she was home sick. And I was like, hey, just so you know. Our leather man maybe oh outside. And remember, and then I had to leave. I went to our office, and then DeWalt well, came to check yeah, on me. They, DeWalt basically was like, you have to end it. He's catatonic in our office. Yes. Like That was the moment that we realized, oh, he's not in on the joke. Uh-oh. So then we're like, okay, that's obviously freaking him out. Let's just end it. You come back in the room. And again, none of this happens when you're out of the room. You never like, hey, I got a text from last night. It's in front of everyone. You come back in the room. The discussion was what was the thing that we could send that would force you to call this person? <laughs> to like be like, you need to leave me alone. Yeah. So after the home pick, all of a sudden you walk back in the room and then you just get a dick pic that says, sorry, wrong thread, wrong yeah. person. Uh-huh. And you're like, oh my God. He just, <laughs> and then now we're arguing because we're all in a joke. Do you think that was on purpose? Do you think he meant to test the waters with you? Was it not? And you're like, I don't fucking know. We're like, you got to call him. You got to call him. And you're like, that's it. I'm going to call Raul. And all of a sudden, and there's a video of this, you pull your phone out. You go, I'm going to dial him. And everyone in the room starts recording. You're like, why is everyone recording me? And people from the around the office who know what it is, include Jeff Ingold and everyone, start piling into the room. And you're like, why is such a crowd forming? Because everyone has been waiting for this moment. And you dial Raul's number. And then Amy's cell phone starts to ring. And you're like, Amy, turn off your cell phone. I'm calling Raul. <laughs> and Amy's cell phone rings again. You're like, Amy. And you're getting so angry. And people are starting to laugh as you're not figuring it out. And all of a sudden you go, 
oh my God. <laughs> and in that moment, you realize what's been going on for like three or four months every morning for like an, and then we'd spend an hour discussing the way he should play role, how he should respond. Again, you talk a big game and then text Amy like, hey bro, sorry, bad news, can't make it, kitty emoji. And you'd be like, I told him the fuck off. And then Amy would be like, look what he really wrote. And we'd be like, we got to get him hotter. The other thing is at lunch, because I was a young staff writer and I didn't know anything, I, I, would, I would see Seth and Amy at lunch and be like, hey, do you guys think I'm distracting from the work of the room with Raul? <laughs> <laughs> and you guys would be like, no, no, it's great. No, no, Everybody you should keep it. doing it. You Everybody loves it. It did endear you to everyone. It is uh, that, yeah. You want to be the person who's having pranks done to them. You don't want to be the person everybody's too scared. It was, it was a compliment to you. It, it, it but I feel like both of us out. should. It helped you stand out. Sorry, right? No, you don't need to. You don't need to say sorry, <laughs> Amy. Amy, on the count of three, we'll say sorry. Ready? One, two, three. <laughs> okay. Well, that happened. You know what's uh, you know what's actually great about it is that it also endeared me to my agents at the time because Adam and I had the same agent and, and our agent is like a partner and a big deal and yet and he, I was like dumped in his lap so like he actually reps Adam and he he was like oh, I have to rep house now I guess but Leatherman started like going around UTA and so at tape nights agents were coming up to me and be like oh, we heard this Leatherman story <laughs> it's amazing and like I was meeting other agents and like sort of forming a bond with them and then I walked in on Adam in on the shower and it was oh, just like lights out incredible yes. <laughs> Um, I'd like to tell that story. You can tell that story if you if you want. Here's uh, another great story. You were you were so funny. So, House comes up uh, and talks to us. Well, wait. Can I give Can I give a little? Of course. Back of course. a little preamble to this. Sure. I notice that a lot of camaraderie of this writers' room is happening at lunchtime in the gym. Hundred percent. Bill is like leading a uh, you know a, a group of people on a golf cart to treadmills and weight training <laughs> and like Randall's in there and Liza's in basketball. there and Ingles. Yeah. yeah, everyone's playing basketball. This is a very physical uh, room, which is not what you usually hear about writers' rooms where like everyone is like Seth and diabetic and eating candy. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I decide like oh if I want to get in good with like Bill and Adam and the writers, I'm going to start working out, which is actually how I started running. Seth, back to you. <laughs> Yeah, so we go uh, two hours every day at lunch. Yeah. That's the setup. 12.30 to 2.00. And House comes over one day and he goes, uh, oh, man, I uh, almost had an awkward run in. Like, what happened? He goes, dude, I almost walked in on Steakill in the shower. And I'm like, oh, my God, dude, what are you talking about? He goes, yeah, I pulled the curtain over, over, didn't realize someone was in there, and left. I I don't think he saw, though. I don't think uh, it was totally I wasn't wearing my glasses. I dodged a bullet. (laughs) No big deal. I'm like, wow, that's a fucking crazy story, man. I I guess we're, we're happy for you. Go back in the room. Stekio walks in like 15 minutes later. He's like, yes, I gotta fucking believe this. Like, what happened? He goes, fucking house came into the shower with me. We go, oh, yeah, yeah, we heard. Uh, I didn't even think he noticed. He goes, notice. He goes, I'm in the shower. House opens the thing, steps in. Adam freezes. Adam goes, uh, hey, dude. <laughs> and then you said something back to him like, oh, didn't realize you were in here. There's a long pause where you're still standing there, according to Stekio. And then he goes, uh, can I help you with anything? He goes, no, nah, man, I'm good. And then you apparently slide it shut. And he just said, <laughs> he goes, that was fucking weird. And again, it's so weird because in no normal job, you'd be like, if you walked in on your, your boss, <laughs> not your superior, but your boss in the shower and you're both naked and have a three beat moment of just like standing there, like, and just like checking each other out is a very weird way to then go back to like a group activity and be like, how was your lunch? <laughs> It was the best days of my life. Truly, it was. Oh, it was so fun. Yeah. You're working there till like 4 a.m. and going insane. That yeah. was. Yeah. That's how we're all locked in a room. Remember how that one room didn't even have windows? Yes. We were like locked in the a room. room? Yeah. And then there was the fart contest. Oh, my Where God. 
Doyle be lighting farts. <laughs> it was like, Mike, it was and anarchy. they all had names, and like, mm-hmm. and we're locked in a room with no windows and like one door. And a fart chart. There was a fart chart. I forgot about the fart chart. Remember? There was like a snake on no it. No green snakes. And like there was a stew and like a there stew. were like burp bubbles. And oh my God. Mike and I at one point were chewing gum and had laid it underneath our noses like a mustache because we couldn't handle it. And AB got hives directly got after hives. that. I walked through and almost threw up and then got hives. Uh, Sitting in a stinkatorium will do that to you. <laughs> I'm gonna jump uh, jump years a bit. Okay, is that okay with you guys? Love it. Time travel. Uh, listen, I want to take us to uh, what it was like when you guys were show running. What that experience was like, because I've had some experience with that too. It's 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 like finally the moment comes, and you now you're driving the train. Um, yes, Seth, you're looking at me like strangely. I don't know why. I'll start Amy. You'll say I'll stare at Amy? Yeah, so I was giving you general eye contact. Oh, okay, okay. You okay. were talking a lot. I was paying attention. Uh, I'm looking in your direction. Okay, so you, uh, for those of you who guys who don't know out there, Seth and Amy show ran the reboot of Head of the Class on HBO Max. Woot, woot. Woo, woo. That was a little too loud. Was it too loud? It was great. I liked it. Maybe one more time. Woo, woo. <laughs> um, so I wanted to ask you guys, every show has its challenges. Uh, show running versus any other job in the writer's room, what would you guys say? Not It doesn't even have to be advice. Just like, what what was your experience? Because I know what it was like making a show in the pandemic. Were you guys a Zoom room as well? well yeah, we were both. We were we basically did two rooms. It was crazy. Yeah. So pandemic, by far the hardest thing about doing anything. Like, uh, we cast over Zoom and Brett and Debbie were amazing. And like Bill and Liza and Jeff and everyone would get on. And we would have to literally like watch auditions that people had self-taped or like they'd come into the room over Zoom and like their angle would be off or like they would, they'd lose connection halfway through and you'd have to start over. It was pretty, it was nuts. I don't know that anyone had ever had to do that before. It was pretty crazy. Yeah. I can only imagine. And Zoom rooms are hard because um, like they're not really made for conversation. (laughs) And comedy, definitely. That's a great point. Um, I'll, I'll also add, it is, um, it's a lot of fun. It's also a thousand, uh, not distractions, but everyone wanting your time in a crazy way. And what you think is, oh, I can, you know, deal with everyone wanting your time. But it is the, you've so little time to like write the scripts, actually take the time to get notes from the studio and network, take the time to talk to your cast, to talk to wardrobe, to talk to props, to talk to your executives. It's like, there is so all of your time becomes insanely valuable. And I feel like you end up working tremendously hard. And we were just like, you sleep. It's like any other show. You're sleeping five hours a night and back to work, living there and just trying to like get this thing on its feet. And it's just, it's a tremendous amount of work. And you, as always, you realize how, you know, how hard you work in television. Everyone works insanely hard. It's a team effort. But when you're at the top, you're, you're, you're bleeding twice as much for the show. Yeah. And it's fun at the same time. And you're money than your staff writer yeah <laughs> yeah i learned i learned that's that's that's, actually, that's the hard lesson is that's like, how i got our first yeah. like, deal at amazon it's true truly oh, it yeah. wasn't because they were like let's develop more for them it was like what's a creative way we can pay these three knuckleheads without fucking up the budget of their tv show yeah no it's really true it's like a very interesting world where like you don't get paid for any of the extra work you're doing it's weird it's awful 
Meaning when you're <laughs> casting for the pilot, no one's paying you there. Or when you have to do publicity and post a lot of the times, you're just on some small fee. And that's why we still play the lottery. <laughs> having having said all that though i think like at least for me with fairfax like it's not there's no more coming there's no surprise um fun show though we liked yeah, it fun show great show everyone was wonderful two seasons. two seasons you guys are in a similar moment as well there's unfortunately no more head of the class right. coming that's right but i do feel an immense sense of pride from the experience and what i learned from it and the show we made and yada 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 and so I guess what I'm asking is like, you know, the night that you guys taped the first one or the last one, as hard as it was, there must be an immense sense of like, look at what we did when most of the world has stopped, you know, when during, especially during the pandemic, you know, did you guys feel like proud of it at, at a certain point, even though sure it's a multicam and like you're, it's about children. Like it doesn't matter. I was making a show about 13 year olds too, but I, I still felt like I was making the Sopranos and I feel like no matter what you're doing for that many hours a day, it consumes you in an all-encompassing way. I completely agree. And we felt we felt incredibly proud always of the show we put on, and we were always super proud of it, and we worked incredibly hard, and everyone else worked incredibly hard. And there's moments of relief. Like, there's relief of, holy shit, we shot a pilot, and we're shooting our first pilot, and it's edited, and oh my God, got picked up. We must have done a good job. And then even when you're all done, you're happy that you're like, we completed this journey, because a lot of the times, like Amy said, it's during COVID, and there's... A million things going on where it's like regime changes, where it's like we're just trying to keep the show going and keep everyone working and create a great product at the same time. So insanely proud that we accomplished that. Yeah. And we were so lucky that we were working with so many friends, especially in the pilot time, because like um, Phil Lewis, who was our director for I mean, he was on Undateable. He did like 20 episodes of live TV with us on Undateable. And then he just crushed it. He was like such a great like attitude and positivity and like he was so good with the cast and we were like we were very lucky we had such a good team and like the whole doozer team was very good and like warner brothers was okay-ish to us like they didn't i mean no but you hear crazy stories and they didn't do any of that stuff um and then kip who was our line producer he um we've been friends with him forever also from undateable and he actually took a picture of us like the very first day he's like i know you guys aren't going to be able to think about this but you're going to want a picture from the day you started this show, which was really cool. So That's awesome. Like you get those nice moments. And then like the cast and working with Isabella and just like it was we were so lucky with so many things on that show. Do you guys want to show run again? Yeah, I think one of the best parts of show running is is when your staff writer walks in on you in the shower. <laughs> I mean, you get That's to do it. Thing for that moment. It's yeah, on the staff level, you don't quite get it as what it is as a superior <laughs> to have someone enter your shower and blankly stare. <laughs> and that's one of the real treats. Well, it, it definitely makes you way more prepared for being on a show. You know, like for staffing, because you like you understand now how to support the showrunner, not just in the writing, but there's so many other things happening or like notes from the studio that people keep trying to ask like, oh, well, why can't we do it this way? And you're like, the, the showrunner has been over this 20 times. So being able to help somebody through that, I think it has, I think that experience just makes you very aware. Well, the reason the reason I wanted to have you guys on and the reason um, I continue to be friends with you guys and lean on you is because as I, coined your nickname on Undateable is Chipper People. Truly, like, <laughs> there are people that when the going gets tough, they become miserable. And there are people when the going gets tough, they become funny and zany. And like like you said, like, it is camp. We are getting to make 
and be <laughs> we're getting to make TV and be creative when you know a lot of the world is doing jobs that aren't half as fun and there isn't half as much candy. Um, and so I really just wanted to have you here to let everyone out there who is trying to break into writing and wants to be a writer uh, that one of the most important things you can do other than be good at be be a, a good writer is be a good person because the two of you are great people and when I am feeling down on my luck and like fuck woe is me you know you guys continue to work and you continue to be loved by the industry and it's because you're wonderful people it's true I know um, it's a lot to hear th thank you for reading the email that we sent you <laughs> verbatim we paid Matt to say yeah. that no problem, uh, you guys. Uh, I'm getting paid by Wilhelm Proviso, Odenkirk. There's like a four-name something. I always think of the like the Wilhelm Provision when I think of Odenkirk Provisero. Is that am I saying it right? Odenkirk Provisero, yeah. That's right. Are you guys? Are you ICMCAA now with the big That's switch right. up? Yeah. yeah. Are you CAM people now? CACAM. Yeah, yeah. I just started a new agency. Yeah. We're the CIA now. <laughs> well, dudes, uh, thank you so much for coming to talk with me. Uh, you are wonderful. This is another episode of Right Who You Know. You should find Seth Cohn and Amy Pocha on Instagram. I'm not going to tell you what their handles are because that's creepy. But uh, we can edit that out also, Amy, if you're like, no, I don't <laughs> no, want it. No. <laughs> we, we have public personas. Send us, send us funny TikToks. That's what we want. Are you guys on TikTok as well? Yeah, I love the TikTok. Seth, are you a big TikTok guy? I don't post, but I love it. Yeah. Really? What? It's like your niche. What, what TikTok are you watching? Oh my God, there's so much good stuff. I won't get into it here. Okay. There's too much. We could talk TikTok for like 20 minutes because we're both addicted to TikTok. Talk and talk. That's a new sitcom and a podcast. <laughs> well, guys, thank you for coming. I love you. <laughs>